Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Divine Plumb Line by Pastor Sean Wood. Into your house so freely to lift up your name. Your word tells us that if we will not sing your praises, then the rocks and the stones will cry out. How great is our God. Blessed be your glorious name. Amen. As we come around your word, we do ask, Lord, that knowing your word never turns to you void, may our hearts be prepared and open and ready, Lord, for what you have to say to us in your glorious name. Amen. Amen. As you're making your way to Exodus chapter 20, I don't know about anybody else, but I grew up with a whole lot of rules. Anybody else grow up with rules? Most of us will say yes, and and as parents, we know we're trying to impose rules on our kids, and uh, by the time I was in my teenage years, I was adamantly pursuing a lifestyle of rejecting all rules, as most teenagers probably do. But I can remember when I was young, and most of us parents will know, we don't let four and five-year-old children just waltz across the road on their own, do we? We have rules. You've got to look left, you've got to look right, you've got to look left again because we, we want to teach them. But by the time they get to 18, 19, 20, and, and I don't know whether Sam Miller's in the room, but, but Sam, does your mum still hold your hand when you cross the road? <laughs> if she does, then come out for some loving and we'll pray for you. But uh, if you are holding her hand, helping her across the road, then that's good and honourable in the sight of the Lord. But... Uh, the reality is we reach a point in our life when we don't need mum holding our hands anymore. Stu, does Maria hold your hand when you're crossing the road? <laughs> Not just when you're crossing the road, bro. <laughs> uh, and I can remember uh, uh, to this day, I still eat all of my vegetables before my meat. Anybody? Yeah. I was, man, I was told... If you eat all your meat, you're not leaving the table until you eat your veggies, right? How many other people are in that boat? So now I'm, I just grew up with, let's get the veggies out of the road, right? And then you reach adulthood and they introduce this stuff called kale. And it's like, that's it, we're out. I press the out button, but... But there comes a point, of course, when, when we grow up, we mature, the relationship changes and we don't have to sit at the table. I pray that we reach a point in our lives when we sit at the table to eat and we don't have people telling us, don't forget to eat all your veggies. Why? We just instinctively do that. But there was a period of time when we were under a guardianship where somebody had to teach us the pitfalls of life. Somebody had to teach us, you know what, it's important to eat your veggies first because they come out last when you vomit. No, not really. <laughs> and and uh, I do appreciate uh, uh, for, the, uh, for the kale leaders that are absent today. I can make the jokes because the kale leaders are absent, but I have been offered a kale salad. And, and I always, if you're going to make a kale salad, I always say, can you just put a little bit of oil on the top? Makes it easier to slip it off the plate into the bin later on. But... Uh, <laughs> but uh, but there, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, my grandson now eats in my house, and um, uh, and I'm shocked. It's like somebody's let off a bomb, right? It's like, whoa! How much did you actually get in your mouth, right? And, and then his mother goes and buys him a high chair with a fallout zone, so we can catch the food. And that's just a challenge to see if we can make it past the fallout zone. 
There comes a point when we don't need that, but there was a period when we did. And what we're going to see is many people say, well, you know what, uh, in Christ we, we, we've come under grace and we're, we're away from the law. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't read the Old Testament anymore because it doesn't apply to our life, but we will see that God's heart in the Old Testament is the same as it is in the New Testament. And what we will see, although we might read through the Old Testament, we might say, you know what, uh, Pastor, this is all just a list of rules and regulations. It's like being back in high school all over again. And and if any of my teachers are listening, I I apologise again in the name of Jesus for what you had to to suffer under. But uh, the reality is that the Old Testament still has a great weight and bearing in our lives, and we're going to see how that is today. The uh, interesting, just a couple of things we need to clear off. The Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is not God off his meds. Okay? It's not a different God. It's not, uh, we had a different God in the Old Testament, so God softened and got, no, no, no. Uh, there's, a, there's an amazing thing that's changed the relationship. We'll, we'll cover that in a moment. We're the same God with the same heart. His heart has always been, I want to live in close relationship and fellowship with my people. And the process may be different. We'll get to that in a moment. So why the law? Why do we have all these rules and regulations? Why don't we just throw them out the window? Well, Paul helps us in the book of Romans and Galatians. Paul helps us with this. Well, this is why we can't disregard it. Uh, Paul says that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And that's actually enormously important in the gospel account. We have uh, so many people today that don't want to hear anything about scripture. We don't want anything. We don't want rules and regulations. We don't want to hear about right and wrong. We want to make up our own right and wrong. And so many people don't even accept the word sin. And through what I love about the Old Testament is that every part of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi points to Christ. Every single part of it. And we're not going to pull all the ceremonies and sacrifices apart, but what Jesus said when he came was, I have not come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfil it. I haven't come to remove it, I haven't come to do away with it, I've come to be the fulfilment. Every sacrifice you offer on the Sabbath, and and every time you pray this way and that way, every time you walk through the temple, and every time you do all of those things, every one of those things is pointing towards me. Every prophecy is heralding a day when there will be a new day and a new relationship. More about that as we work our way through. So the, the law is enormously important. And here's one thing that I've I learned. I learned this in my teenage years. So if you're still learning this, then this could be a revelation for you today. But I've realised that I'm not a real good rule keeper. Anybody else in that boat today? Bill, put your hand up, please. I'm not a real... Thank you, Bill. I'm not a real good rule keeper. But what the law highlights is I cannot stand before a holy God according to just mere rules and regulations and a righteousness that I've created on my own. In fact, what the Old Testament teaches me is that we serve a holy, 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 holy God. New Testament does as well. And that he's behind the curtain and the veil in the Old Testament for a reason. For those that were journeying with us last week, uh, God's holiness, it's like it's nuclear. The closer you get to the fallout zone, the more intense it becomes and we were not, in our sinful condition, we are not designed to operate in that place. But because of Jesus, for those that were journeying with us last week. And so uh, today I... uh 
The number one thing that I love about the Old Testament and the law, we're only going to, by the way, don't, don't go to sleep just yet. We're only going to cover off the first four of the Ten Commandments, but they speak enormously uh, to what God wants to speak about us and him and the relationship this morning. But uh, I, what I see in the Old Testament is a plumb line. And for the builders in the room, you don't lay a plumb line to straighten a building. You lay a plumb line to highlight how crooked the building is. And what God is doing in these Ten Commandments and all throughout the law, he is laying a plumb line in the hearts of the people of Israel and he wants to lay a plumb line in their heart, not in their external behaviour. Everything that you do on the outside is the outflow of the inside, right? Jesus taught us that. We're going to do that in a moment. Uh, 2,000 years ago, just so that we kind of quickly get to the catch point, 2,000 years ago, God laid another plumb line. His name is Jesus. And for those that journeyed with us last week, uh, we, we learnt the word treasured possession. And what God said to Israel is, he says, you will be my treasured possession. And let's unpack what that means for us again, just for a moment. What that means is that in a kingdom in the ancient times, uh, all of the treasure throughout a kingdom belonged to the king. It was at the king's disposal. But amongst that treasure, he would have his king's treasure. He would have his treasured possession that he would put in the chambers where no one knew it was. That's where I put my fishing rods. Those kind of, you know, it's where the king puts his fishing rods and, you know, he lets everybody use his golf clubs. But, but this is the place you put your fly rods. It's the treasured possession. And the king would keep that away from everybody else and he would brood over that. That, that, that treasured possession, if, if a uh, competing nation sacked that, and all that was left was the treasure he's got in the back room, he's got everything. And as much as God promises us that we will be his treasured possession, he demands, and we will see by this plumb line, that he demands to be our treasured possession. And so as this plumb line runs through our hearts this morning, I want to ask a question. Who or what occupies that secret chamber in your heart? That's the the question of the scripture. By the time we get to the New Testament, Paul is going to say, you know what? I'm going to paraphrase it for you. He's going to say, you know what? All you guys think that the Old Testament is about keeping laws and ceremonies and and festivals. But he says, being a Jew and being a person of God has always been a matter of the heart. Speaking about circumcision, he says, circumcision is... And all the men just cross their legs. And he says, and speaking of circumcision, he says, circumcision has always been of the heart. In other words, it's an outward sign of a very beautiful and wonderful inward reality. And so many people say, well, I'm free in Christ, but we've mixed that up. So many people, what they mean by that, well, we're free in Christ means that that doesn't mean liberty, it means licence. Well, now I'm free to do what I want. Hang on to that for a moment. I want to tell you this morning, uh, this might shock a few people, God has, in Christ, set us free to do whatever we want. You can do whatever you want, but here's the catchphrase. What grace does is it transforms your want. 
So many people I speak to say, oh, I don't want to be a Christian. You know, that's a boxed up lifestyle. I want to live my life and do what I want to do. I'm doing what I want to do each and every day. And I'm a servant and a follower of Christ. In fact, in the New Testament, they say it's a bond servant. It's where you say, you know what? I'm free and I can walk away anytime, but I choose to follow Christ. So every day I do what I want. Grace set me free and Christ gave me the power to live a life that pleases God. I'm doing what I want. What grace does is transforms our want. When God is your treasured possession, it transforms your want. We all love that verse in the Psalms, don't we? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we, you know, we run to God with that. And, but the reality is, and the question I have is, if God is truly your delight, then what will be the desire of your heart? More of him. More of him. No cats, Pastor Liz, welcome back. No cats in the treasured possession. Welcome back. But let's, let's work our way this morning through the first verses of chapter 20 and see as God lays the plumb line through the hearts of the people of Israel, may he also lay a plumb line through our very own hearts and and in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am. Ah, I love those two words, I am. You know, when, when Moses first at the burning bush, and God says, go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, he, he never told Moses to go back and negotiate. <laughs> I love that. And when Moses says, who should I say is calling when I go back? He says, tell them I am who I am. And I love that. You know what? We need to stop debating the existence of God. And as the people of God, just proclaim his existence. We need to cease negotiating. There's no negotiation here. People can accept or reject the truth if they like. But the truth is God is the great I am. He lives. We don't need to get drawn into frivolous arguments. I, I appreciate uh, Dr. Martin Lord-Jones, one of last century's most uh, prominent preachers. Uh, he retired from a butler of, as the royal family to be a preacher. And uh, he, along with Spurgeon, would say, if God ever calls you to be a preacher, never stoop to be a king. Great words. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, I love this, your God. I don't know if you've noticed as we've been journeying along, but when Moses goes to Israel and he proclaims, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That's absolutely 100% true. He is the God of the living and not the dead. That's 100% true. He's the God who is alive. That's 100% true. But there has been a transformational shift for Israel, and I pray it's a transformational shift for every one of us, where God ceases being a God or the God and becomes our God. My God, uh, to Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. These guys were out of Egypt three days and they're starting to cry and bellow and we want to go back. I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's all of our story in this room. I pray that if you have never moved out of Egypt, if you've never made that decision, Lord, rescue me, Lord, save me. If that's not you this morning, then don't leave here before making that decision. But this is all of our story. We were all in Egypt. 
We were all in a hopeless situation and we couldn't rescue ourselves until the God of all glory came and saved us and brought us to himself. And so last week, for those who were with us last week, God says, I have brought you to myself as on eagle's wings. As in, you didn't put in any effort. I did all the, I did all the work. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Number one, commandment number one, or the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words as we know them, four of them apply to our vertical relationships, six of them apply to our horizontal relationships. Today, we're going to cover the first and the most important ones, the ones concerning our vertical relationship with God and see how that starts to run plumb lines through our very own heart. You shall have no other gods before me. And often when we read this one and the next one that's coming, we often think, you know what, that doesn't apply to us. We don't, we don't run around with all these little images and, and stuff. Our, our mental pieces aren't filled with all of these graven images, but idolatry, although it may look different today, is still alive and well. An idol is whatever you make the most of in your life. An idol can be work. I've been there. An idol can be a relationship where you put everything in that relationship before God. An idol is anything that is in that treasured possession that is not God. Uh, we've said this many times, I'll say it again, God doesn't cohabitate, he doesn't share. Uh, many, many years ago, I, I preached a message, the God of the capital G, as you're waking your way, particularly through the Old Testament, you'll hear they often speak of the God and they speak of gods, but when they speak of any other God apart from our God, they use a small g. But whenever they speak of our God, they use a capital G and so they should because we're talking about a person. But what is God teaching us here? We, uh, even uh, for those that know a little bit of, of their Old Testament, uh, remember Jacob uh, grabs hold of Rachel and Leah and as he's running away from the barn, uh, Rachel grabs the household gods, for those that can remember the account and stuffs them in the saddle of the camel. And then when Laban is chasing after them, she sits in the tent and she sits on them and says, I haven't got any of your gods, but how many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us are just like Rachel? We've left Egypt. God's brought us into a wonderful relationship. He's bringing us to himself, but we want to bring our own little idols as well. We want to shove the the things that we hold dear in this world. We want to shove them into the camel's saddle. God says, I don't share. What God demands here, he's running a plumb line in our hearts he wants singleness of heart and fidelity that we would cleave to him alone that we would trust in him alone that he would have all of our love and that he would be that treasured possession but we make idols of many things today and it's not just money and wealth and prestige and all those other things an idol can look like many things An idol can look like a career or or sporting achievements. You don't get to look as buff as I do. Amen, everybody said amen. Everybody said amen. That's when we need a little little thing up the back that says amen and clap and all that sort of stuff. But we're, we're working on that. You shall have no other gods before me. And often we think this doesn't apply. 
every one of us is built and designed and created to worship, God demands that he has all of that worship. Not some. Not two times a month. You know what? Not even every Sunday. God wants your worship on Monday morning. God wants your worship on Monday afternoon. God wants your worship when you're fishing. Amen. Yeah. Helps you catch fish. Big ones. Yeah, oh, I don't catch any small ones. I take my sons to catch the small ones. Yeah. It means I don't have to worry about those ones. Yeah. You shall have no other gods before me. But let's move to the next one. This one's a really important. This one comes a little bit closer to home. Uh, as he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. And immediately again, we think, well, this doesn't apply to us. We're not carving little shapes of Buddha or whatever else and putting them on our mantelpieces. So, so this doesn't apply to us. But what God is teaching us here, the plumb line that is running through our hearts is, uh, are you worshipping the one true God in a false way? Uh, This here is worshipping God, 100% worshipping God, according to the revelation of God's word. Uh, A warning to any any church, any leadership, any person who thinks I will fashion a God that is comfortable for me and I'll worship a God. We, we live in an age today where we're trying to repackage Jesus. We need to repackage Jesus and make him more likeable to everybody in the world. No, we don't. Well, we need to repackage Jesus and so that everybody will get excited and, and then if we just repackage Jesus and make it a God that everybody likes, they'll keep coming to church. No, they won't. No, they won't. The truth is, if we're not careful, we're still making images today. I spend enough time on YouTube and enough time on the internet knowing that there's enough people in the world that are trying to repackage God. We don't have to. Here's the secret to transforming the world. Be God's plumb line in the world. More about that in a moment. We don't have to reshape God. We don't have to repackage God. The call of this commandment is to take God as he has revealed in his word. Not how we feel. Uh, Can I ask a question this morning? How many people every single Sunday, how often do you really feel like worshipping God every Sunday? I mean, we all say we do, but the reality is life beats us up, right? How often do we wake up every morning and we feel like reading God's word? Trying to fashion and chisel a God according to Our feelings is very dangerous. The plumb line that God is running through our hearts is, first and foremost, do you have any other idols stuffed in that treasured possession? Are you trying to to repackage me? More about this when we get to Exodus 32. Uh, More about this when we get to the golden calf. That's 
that's a day not to miss church, that's a day to put your seatbelts on that day. But uh, the reality is um, we, we often read these and think it doesn't apply and, and big bad Israel always playing up. But you know what? God is still running that same plumb line through our very own hearts. It looks a little bit different today. Yes, we have Jesus and it's been intensified. Don't forget that we're reading commandments here, thou shalt and thou shalt not. But when Jesus comes, he says, you know what? Up until now, you've said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But if you hold a woman in your heart, Jesus took it to a next level. Because the revelation and the relationship was taken to the next level. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Let's go to the next one. Verse 7, if you're tracking with me, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And a couple of things, often when we read that, the first thing we think is, well, that's when people blaspheme the name of our Lord and that is part of it, yes. Um, I just wanted to address that and move it aside and move it a little bit deeper. Uh, The Jews help us to understand a little bit more. Uh, If you were in ancient times, particularly particularly pre-Christ, these guys would not even lift the name of Yahweh onto their lips because they believed to do so foolishly or insincerely was to take the Lord's name in vain. What that highlights is that God demands reverence. His name encompasses all that is his character and all that he has revealed about himself to us. His name encompasses all of that. A couple of questions. If Jesus is not real, I just got a couple of questions before we go any further. If Jesus is not real, how come our movies are filled with taking his name in vain? Why don't they take Mickey Mouse's name in vain? Or Buddha? I think it's pretty obvious that there is a heart. You see, whenever I hear people use the Lord's name in vain, there's a plumb line, right? At the, and although we hear something offensive on the outside, what we're actually hearing is, you know what, if we run a plumb line through your heart, you have no reverence for God. That's where it flows from. And in ancient times, in in Old Testament times, they wouldn't lift the name of God to their lips because we don't want to do anything silly. We don't want to mispronounce it. We don't want to. We don't want to be foolish. Or we don't want to be insincere. Hmm. Changes the way we sing songs, yeah. Oh, pastor's gone on on holidays. He's come back grumpy. No, but it changes the. But but it changes the way we. Does it not? We lift the glorious name of Jesus. You are Lord, Lord, Lord. How often do we sing that? Insincerely. I'm far too guilty. God is teaching us how to treat him. God is teaching us how to live in his presence. God is teaching us how to worship him. Some people through history have got this wrong. Let's take a couple of examples just before we come to the last one, which isn't all about coming to church, by the way, but you should come to church. 
But when we think about the first one, we're starting to bring this into the New Testament. When we think about the first, you shall have no idols. You, what you keep in your treasured possession. There was a man that approached Jesus. Do you know that you can be in the presence of Jesus and leave disappointed and sad? I didn't believe it until I read the account of the rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler, he, he approaches Jesus one time and, and he's a very prominent man. He's running a synagogue, a local synagogue. And, and everybody, he's the kind of guy that everybody speaks to when he's out in the street. You know, like when, when, when Terry's wandering around the streets, everybody's in a hurry. Yeah, I hear you from Aladala. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, But this rich young ruler approaches Jesus and says, what must I do, wrong word, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, right? And if you read those commandments, none of them apply to his vertical relationship. Every one of them applies to his horizontal relationship. But he's a perfect guy. So he says, well, I've kept all of these since my youth. But when Jesus runs the plumb line through his heart, he says, you've still got a problem. You've got far too much stuff stuffed in the back corner that you're holding dear. You need to have a for sale sign put on that treasure you've got in your heart. This is the one thing you lack. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor. Now, please, hear me. Don't go home and sell your house just yet. Uh, Okay, Uh, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want that spot. And when Jesus ran the plumb line through that rich young ruler's heart, he turned away sad. Why? Because he was wealthy. And all the disciples said, wow, if that guy can't be saved, who then can be saved? And Jesus helped us to understand that salvation is a work of the Lord because what is impossible with men... It's possible with God. Well, surely uh, the whole graven image thing, that doesn't apply, right? But Jesus was talking to a woman by the well in Samaria. And the problem with the Samaritans and the Jews was uh, they kind of had a different conception of who God was. You see, the Jews held to the fullness of the Torah, which was the wisdom literature, which was also the prophets, and, of course, what we're reading here in the first five books of the Bible. But the Samaritans, they only held to the first five books of the Bible. Here's what Jesus said to that Samaritan woman. You worship... What you don't know. You made a God that's convenient for you. Because if you dip into the prophets, it speaks of someone else. So does the first five books. So what Jesus was saying is the true worship of God is based in truth, founded on his word. What about having reverence? I love this story. Uh, everything we read in Leviticus, kind of most of what we read in Leviticus also takes place here, at the giving of the law. And if you keep reading through the book of Exodus, you'll notice that what God says to Moses is, he says, go down and get Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, and come up here. So he goes down, they all come up. Later on, after God has told them how to behave in his presence, after he has told every one of them, this is how you worship me, we are told that Nadab and Abihu, in the presence of God, are offered unauthorised worship. And they were consumed. And here's what God said, for those who will be near me, I must be reverenced. Number eight, we sang about this this morning, by the way. I'll get to that in a moment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
There's a lot that encompasses the Sabbath, and by the time Jesus arrives, the Pharisees had made this big deal out of the Sabbath. But Jesus helps us to understand the purpose behind the Sabbath. He says to the Pharisees that man was not created for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for the man. Why? Because God knew we would just go ahead and get ourselves all busy, distracted, and running after anything and everything, and God knew we needed the Sabbath. Why? Because we need to intentionally make room for God in our lives. That's what the Sabbath is all about. The Sabbath is all about making room in your heart and in your life for God. God says you shall work six days. And to most millennials today, that's offensive. (laughs) What God is teaching us is, what's the use of having treasure if you never make room for it? What's the use of having fly rods if you don't go fishing? That's my theology. I'm, I'm bringing that one to the floor, but... But God is teaching us to make room in our lives for him. And that is, part of that is church and it's about, there's so much that is important about congregating together to worship God and to hear his voice and to meet with God. But there's also so much that is important about getting up Monday morning and making room for God in your life. We make ourselves busy. We fill ourselves with work. Can I tell you, you, the to-do list doesn't have an end. The phone doesn't stop ringing. Anybody ever notice that when you decide you're going to section a certain amount of, this is the time I'm going to spend with the Lord. Do you ever notice that's when the phone rings? It's only someone to tell you, hey, listen, I've lost the cat. Okay, who cares? Let's move on. But um, <laughs> if, we, <clears throat> if we fast forward from here, bringing this to an end, I'm excited for what God's got for the Rock Church this year because what I want to share now is part of this. God's running a plumb line through our own hearts. And can I tell you that from a leadership perspective, God's running a plumb line. He's always running a plumb line through this church. And I don't know about anybody else because you guys have got it all together, but he's always running a plumb line through my heart. And, and every now and again, he finds the things a little bit off. I know you find that hard to believe. As you're picking your jaw up off the ground, it's going to be okay. Bear with me now. But 2,000 years ago, God ran another plumb line. The New Testament calls it a cornerstone. His name is Jesus. And that was intentional. Why? Because God was building a temple. And in the first century, before you did any building project, if you were going to build a house or or if you were going to build a church or whatever you were going to build, you would lay a cornerstone. And then from that cornerstone, every stone, every wall, every, everything from there on would take its bearings off the cornerstone. And what God did 2,000 years ago is he said, I'm going to build a temple uh, for the 70 AD, for those that know about the physical temple. God is building a temple still today that no man will tear down. He's building a temple that's not made up of stones. In fact, Peter helps us in his epistle to understand that this new temple that God is building is a temple that is us. We are all, here's what Peter says, we are all living stones that God is fitting together, but Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the plumb line. 
Jesus must remain the plumb line of our own lives. Jesus must remain the plumb line of our own hearts. But Jesus must remain the plumb line in this very church and throughout the body of Christ. We cannot build anything without taking our bearings off Christ. And I'm excited because I have most of us here that have journeyed for any time will see that God is building. You know, sometimes when God lays a plumb line in our own lives, in church life, sometimes God has to do an enormous deconstruction work before he does the reconstruction work. Sometimes God looks at a piece of property and says, we're going to take this all down, start again. That's what he did to me. Still doing it, by the way. How would you like to be the project manager overseeing this building project? (laughs) The budget got blown years ago. Uh, But I'm excited because I can see God building, but I can see God building individuals. And the plumb line that God has set for each one of us, God set a plumb line for his people way back here, but God has set a plumb line for us that runs through our hearts. It governs how we treat each other. It governs how we operate in our workspaces. And it governs how we treat God. Jesus is the full revelation. And the call on our lives is to be God's plumb lines wherever you go. You wait and see what God does. If you say, I'm going to live for God, I'm going to, if you place God in that treasured possession, if, if you place God in that secret place where, where, where nobody else can take away, if you, if you place God in that secret place of your heart, you watch what he does around you. I, I love the words of F.W. Boreham. Uh, F.W. Boreham was a preacher in Tasmania. Uh, Andrew Corbett has done a documentary on his life, but he's listed in one of the top ten preachers ever known under the Apostle Paul. And so all the good ones come from Tasmania? <laughs> I'm not so sure. But F.W. Boreham says, you know what? He says, I don't have to spend my ministry running around pointing out all the crooks in everybody else's stick. He says, God has just called me to lay down a straight stick. God isn't calling us to run around and point at everything. God is just calling us to live a life that lays a plumb line. When you're at work, it lays a plumb line. When you're surfing, it lays a plumb line. When you're fishing, it lays a plumb line. When someone cuts you off on a drift when you're fishing, you ask for forgiveness after you've tipped them out. No, you don't. <laughs> but I want to encourage you. We have, we have, a, we have a lot of announcements this year. Uh, for what God is doing and is shaping uh, and forming in the church. But God, God never builds overnight. It's always a process. When God determined that he was going to bring forth a nation that would birth the Redeemer, he started with one man, Abraham. And when God decided he was going to build a new temple, he started with one man, the God-man, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would continue to run your plumb line through each one of our hearts. I pray, Father, as your word has exposed, may may this church ever, from this point onwards, Lord, may we only ever build and take our bearings from the cornerstone. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to be our cornerstone. 
Thank you, Jesus, that what we cannot do, you have done. Thank you, Jesus, that when we could not manufacture our own righteousness, that you gave us your righteousness. Father, we ask, sanctify yourself as holy. Move yourself from the very commonplace in our lives to the treasured possession. And use us as a plumb line in this community and in this city, we ask in your glorious name this morning. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.